Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room podcast. The latest phrase in workplace trend of quiet quitting refers at a basic level to people doing the bare minimum of work. And although this seems to be the newest buzzword in the HR world, it's certainly more than just a passing trend and something which HR teams and organizations should take very seriously. So to talk about this topic in more detail today, we're delighted to be joined by Melrona Kiran, Associate Professor of Organizational Psychology at DCU. Thanks for joining us, Melrona. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for the invitation. Brilliant stuff. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, Founder and Managing Director here at Inside HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great. Thanks, Owen. And welcome, Melrona. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Mary. Brilliant stuff. So we jump right in, Valerona. Can you talk to us about, I suppose, what is quiet quitting? I know I gave a basic introduction there, but you'll, you'll know more. Yeah, sure. So this is a phrase that seems to have originated in TikTok. And uh, if it's in TikTok, it must be a thing, I guess. Um, what is being referred to is this phenomenon whereby employees seem to be doing their job and no more beyond that, I guess. That said, it's not a phrase that has hit the academic literature at all. So with respect to research on it and all the rest, uh, that has yet to come. But what I would say is that uh, the idea of employees doing their job and fulfilling their criteria um, and then wanting to go home to their other life is is not a new thing. At one level, I don't think you can blame employees, but I, I still think that what organisations are really kind of looking for the whole time are employees going above and beyond what they may be contracted to do. And, you know, where employees aren't not necessarily watching the clock and waiting until the hand hits five in order to run out the door. So employers are always looking for engaged employees who are connected to the organization's mission and are not watching the clock and want to, you know, deliver the best that they can and, uh, you know, volunteer to support their, their colleagues uh, with respect to their tasks. And that's what's called organization citizenship behavior engaged behavior, whereby you, you're you not just thinking about your own job, you're thinking about the overall objective of the organization and your role in helping fulfill that and, and not being not being somebody who counts whether or not they have done their job and will do no more after that. So quiet quitting is where it seems to refer to this phenomenon of employees watching the clock and deciding I've done my job, that's it, I'm gone. And as I said, there, there's two ways of looking at it, yeah. 100%. I suppose, Melrone, is it tough to gauge this? Is it prevalent in Irish workplaces? It, it might be kind of a, a blue sky question. Yeah, that is very much a blue sky question, simply because we don't have the data. And, and until it, it is tracked empirically, I guess, it's very difficult to have any confidence standing over metrics around this. Mm-hmm. I guess what we could look at, though, at the same time in its place is a, f- a concept called employee engagement. And so an engaged employee is somebody who's not watching the clock necessarily. It's somebody who is absorbed in their work. They are energetic about it. They are dedicated to it. Um, And you could say that maybe the quiet quitter is the antithesis of that. And we do have a lot of data absolutely on levels of employee engagement. 
And the sad reality is that the levels of employee engagement are actually quite low, about 20%. So Gallup basically do this uh, global survey and have done it for many, many years, tracking a number of things, including employee engagement. And what they consistently find is that levels of engagement are really quite low. So globally, as I said, about 20 percent in the US, it seems to be a bit higher, around 30 percent up to a third. But that's actually not very high numbers for your workforce. Mm. Um, and the other, I suppose, alarming fact is that they also track levels of disengagement and levels of disengagement are around 20%. So a disengaged worker is somebody who is not connected to what's going on, hasn't absorbed the mission or the vision or the values of an organization. It's not that they're not working hard or anything, but they're not doing any more than uh, the the bare minimum. So that's disappointing for organizations. Uh, So with respect to the prevalence of quiet quitting, it might be actually more helpful to look at the levels of uh, engagement and then disengagement. And I suppose, Mary, is this something we're seeing in our discussions with HR leaders and organizations? I suppose they're not coming to us saying, I think my employees are quite quitting. Obviously, they're rightfully saying, as Malrona says, their employees are feeling disengaged and that kind of thing. Is that something we're seeing from, I suppose, our own experience? I've, I've always seen it in HR, the disengaged employee, and that is always a concern for managers and HR and leaders generally. But um, as Malrona says, this has suddenly come out of nowhere, this whole idea of quite quitting. And I, I had never heard of it before, suddenly all over LinkedIn, all over social media, People were posting about quite quitting. And I've seen a bit of a reaction from employees saying, you know what, coming to work every day and doing my job um, and maybe not being super engaged and giving more than I need to is actually okay. I come to work to serve my life. Work isn't my life. And I think that represents a whole change in attitude that we're seeing right across the global workforce um, around work-life balance and about the meaning of work and its place in somebody's life. So as Malrona said, I I immediately, once I started um, hearing the words quite quitting, started trying to find, well, where where is this originated from? Who who's talking about this in, in academic circles generally? You know who's talking about it, uh, and I couldn't find very much other than on social media. So I would say, I, I guess to HR professionals and teams, you just have to be a little bit wary, and like Melrona says, think about engagement um, and how you can drive engagement in your organization rather than getting too hung up on these words. Um, And, you know, in HR, I've seen over many, many years processes and things named and renamed and and renamed again in a trendy way. And everybody talks about something, but actually fundamentally it's the same thing that we were looking at 10 years ago, 20 years ago. So like you, Malrona, I do believe that we should focus in on engagement and genuine engagement and looking at the factors that contribute to engaging your employees in the workplace and understanding and listening to their voice and understanding what might be causing them to quiet quit in in a sense. You know, someone who comes to work to do their job and and does enough 
in the day is not a bad employee. And I think we need to be very clear about that. Somebody coming and working to rule is a very different thing. And that's where someone is deliberately choosing to only do the bare minimum so they don't get fired. I'm really curious about this whole area. Mm-hmm. It's interesting you talk about it's the same thing in different words. I remember the phrase that used to be used was um, old wine in new bottles. Never heard it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember actually when HR as a discipline was emerging from personnel management, that that was a phrase that was used, that it's uh, it's the same thing. It's, it's, the, it's the sector of the organisation that pertains to the welfare of employees. Um, and I suppose the original personnel officers were the welfare officers. And that evolved into personal management and then evolved into HR. But as we know, HR is a bit better, is a bit more than personal management in that it takes a strategic perspective. So it's way more than just the employee welfare. It's seeing the place of that in the grand scheme of the organization's competitiveness and, and pro- prosperity. Yeah. Percent engagement and tends to fall under the realm of HR as well. So I suppose kind of linked to what you were previously saying there, Mary, just around kind of the fact is, I'll ask you both this, but I might actually come to yourself, Melrona, first for mm-hmm. this one. I suppose, what are some of the factors that would contribute to kind of disengagement? I suppose the simple question is, why is this happening, really, Melrona? Yeah, so why it's happening, again, there's no silver bullet. We're complex, complicated, contradictory human beings, and we bring all that into our office environment, you know, no matter where that is. And so there's no silver bullet that's going to resolve that. So I think what it means is that managers need to take a very sophisticated approach to dealing with their employees. And it really starts off with understanding what makes people tick. So what are the factors that motivate individuals and different things motivate all of us, but there are some core common factors such as getting our needs fulfilled. So what are our needs? And we have some very basic needs to, you know, have sufficient income to put a roof over our heads and food on the table. But as we get those basic needs fulfilled, we become concerned about things like a positive social regard and move up to wanting to be the best that we can be. It's called self-actualization. So at work, people want opportunities to have these needs met. Moving on from that, people have a need for meaningfulness, for impact, for mastery, for identity. And maybe it's the case that a lot of organizations these days have been modernized with artificial intelligence, meaning that the human uh, contribution to the work environment is maybe not delivering these more existential uh, fulfillment of these needs like meaning and mastery and identity and those types of things. So recognizing what makes people tick is the first thing. What you really want to do, though, is pay attention to technical things like how a job is designed. So there are some core characteristics of a well-designed job, like, for example, variety. So is there sufficient variety within a person's job? Another key thing is autonomy. So people like to feel that they have some latitude with respect to decision-making, problem solving. So is there that breath within the person's job in order to allow that? People want to derive a sense of uh, responsibility at work. They want to have feedback on the results. They want to know that the job that they're doing has some kind of impact in the broader scheme of things. So even if somebody's doing the most lowly uh, task in an organization, they need to know that the absence of that lowly task actually would have a significant impact overall. So job design is is absolutely critical. 
um, with respect to who does the job, you need to make sure that it's the right person doing the job such that they have the requisite skills, experiences, qualifications, but also that it fits their personality, that they're the team that they're working with have a good cultural bond between them. There's a sense of unity, a sense of team shared mental model, it's called. So there is this, the need to fit, fit personalities well together at work. I would say also that a, a major issue that has come through some of the kind of early academic work in this is the issue of gratitude. People like to be thanked and people may feel that the effort that they're making is has not been observed, has not been kind of acknowledged. And the slightest word of thanks whereby people feel appreciated at work is another thing that can be done to offset disengagement at work and build a sense of meaningfulness. So understanding what makes people tick, understanding how to you know, d- design a job well, building a team culture and uh, installing a sense of gratitude at work would be a- a- enormous things that would have an impact. There's two other ideas that I would um, raise uh, with respect to what you were saying there, Mary, in, in relation to people f- coming to work and doing no more than they are, are contracted to do. I think, you know, it, it's possible that people feel that their uh, effort at work is is not, um, it, it, you know, if it's not uh, completely supporting uh, the manager or or the the uh, decided path of action, that they can't say anything at all. And so they just kind of shut down and think, oh, my voice isn't welcome here. So what we can do in relation to that is build what's called a, a climate of psychological safety. So what that refers to is a context whereby people feel they absolutely can disagree. They can speak up and say, I don't agree with you, or they can speak up and say, I don't know, or I need some help, or I made a mistake. And so if people don't feel that there is a climate whereby those types of difficult matters, let's say, can be raised, then they shut down. So what we need to do instead is create this climate of psychological safety. So managers can do three things to get that off the ground. The first is to model curiosity, you know, so that they at their meetings, they say, look, I might not be seeing the full picture here. I'm I'm coming from an engineering perspective. You guys are coming from a a tech perspective or you guys are coming from a um, marketing perspective. What's your take on this? So that would be the first thing. And so that opens up the room, if you like, for the inclusion of all sorts of different angles uh, and and sends a signal that different angles are welcome in the discussion and actually are, in fact, integral to good problem solving. So the first thing is model curiosity. The second thing managers can do is remember that they are in, they're not infallible, they're fallible uh, and they make mistakes. And um, I think managers are often under pressure to get it right and get it right every time. And that's an enormous stress to operate under. And, and nobody's perfect. So we're all just human beings. So for a manager to recognize their own fallibility and, and, and be kind of uh, ha- have a degree of humility about them, that can also make people think, OK, well, if the manager is not right all the time, well, it's OK for me not to be right all the time or it's OK for me to not agree with what's being said, you know, because the manager is saying that they're not always right all the time. So that's the second thing. And the third thing that managers can do is uh, value the learning that comes from executing a task as much as the execution of the task so that there's a debrief. Even when it goes well, you know, that there's a debrief. What did we get right there? You know, what was the secret sauce to our success? And uh, let's let's 
identify that and let's try and build that into the next iteration of this task that we're that we undertake. And so it's not just about getting something done, but it's actually what did we learn over getting it, getting it done. And so those three features are core building blocks. And this comes from the work of Professor Amy Edmondson, who's fantastic in this whole topic of psychological safety for years. Uh, I think she first brought it into academia in 1990. So was a huge amount of research on the value of this uh, construct. And so when people feel there's a sense of psychological safety, they feel that their voice is welcome. And so they don't shut down and then are less likely to disengage. I suppose it's glaringly obvious from what Melrona is saying there, Mary, that engagement doesn't just happen either. There has to be a concerted effort towards it in an organisation, Mary, isn't there? Absolutely. And, and I know we spoke recently about the beleaguered line manager and the level of responsibility for for the line manager, because like fundamentally, when it comes to it, your line manager is going to influence how engaged or otherwise people are. And there isn't enough focus in um the development of line managers, particularly for new ways of working, because remember, the world of work is fundamentally different in many organizations, certainly for knowledge based workers, where, you know, managers are now managing hybrid teams. They're managing people who are burned out and stressed. They're managing uh, ongoing absences um, in relation to COVID that hasn't stopped. And, you know, there are many, many, many things that a manager is responsible for, from workflow to productivity to work completion. But I love what you're saying, Malrona, because, you know, those three simple steps built into management development programs and leadership programs uh, could make a fundamental difference to how the manager sees that role and the impact that that manager has on their teams that they manage. It is not all HR. HR can only do a certain amount, but where HR can be influential is in the design and development of management and leadership programs um, in preparing managers for the new world of work, in teaching managers, not about quite quitting, because, again, we don't know enough about that, uh, you know, as a phenomenon. We don't we don't really know a lot about that. Is it happening? Is it not happening? I don't know that we can measure that, but we can look at engagement and we have tools already in place to look at how engaged our employees are. I have a concern about some of those tools uh, because HR managers often show me stats from some of the tools they're using that tell me that people are much more engaged than actually when you go down on the ground and speak directly to managers and employees that I find. So, you know, I wonder sometimes about when people respond to surveys, uh, how honest they're actually being and are there other avenues that we can go to collect information from employees so that we really have our finger on the pulse. So we really understand are people engaged or not. When people leave organisations, we know that they're not engaged. We know that we they've made a decision for one reason or another 
to leave the organization. Maybe that's money. So do we need to look at our pay and reward? Maybe that's management. Do we need to look at our managers? Maybe that's because of uh, culture and an environment. But fundamentally, it all comes back to the same thing. Are we honestly looking at it? Are we honestly measuring it? Are we putting in place strategies to try and engage our people? And are we supporting our managers to do it? Absolutely. Uh, and a couple of things I'd add to that, Mary. So in relation to measuring engagement, um, so as a psychologist, I'm all about measurement. <laughs> uh, I'm all about good measurement. And there are two core elements that uh, HR managers need to think about with respect to the tools that they are using. And those two elements are reliability and validity. Uh, far too often measures are available to the unsuspecting HR manager that look great, sound great, flashy, shiny, but are not empirically derived from the, from the scientific arena. So this is what psychologists do. They, they measure constructs like, for example, employee engagement and build up a very rich backdrop of evidence that the tool that they say measures engagement measures engagement and not something else. So I, I couldn't advocate more strongly the need for HR managers to tune in to those two components of reliability and validity with respect to the tools that they use. Often, just because you can count data doesn't mean it actually counts. So you have to ensure that you know using a good tool will give you the data that really does count. Uh, you know, the type of data that you collect can be through surveys, but also um, I'd encourage HR managers to gather qualitative information as well, which means sitting down with a bunch of employees and, and chatting things through in order to give a richer take of some meat on the bones of kind of hard numeric data that can emerge from a survey. But the other thing about collecting data is there's no point doing it once. You know, you have to keep your finger on this pulse. So you have to have uh, the first take on something is your baseline. And then there's got to be a commitment to repeating that um, at various times in the future in order to see whether or not any interventions you've made have moved the dial. Uh, and those interventions can include, as you were saying, money is one of them. But actually, money doesn't motivate past a certain point. Um, and actually, interestingly, people or evidence has shown that when people feel that what they used to do out of the goodness of their heart is now down as a key performance indicator, suddenly it loses its appeal and it becomes, well, now I have to do this because I'm being paid for it. And it kind of destroys the dynamic of doing it in the first instance. So we have to be careful about our use of extrinsic factors, which is what money is in, in motivating people and try and appeal to intrinsic factors like sense of pride, sense of achievement, sense of accomplishment, personal growth. These things are very important. And that gets back to the concepts I was talking about with respect to meaningfulness and mastery and identity. The second thing I'd add here, uh, you were talking about uh, how managers, they, they keep tabs on things and plan and they staff and all the rest. With respect to building engagement, I'd be encouraging managers to step into leadership and they're two different things. So you could say that a manager motivates, whereas a leader inspires. They're both two sides of the same coin and we, we need both of them. But leadership involves less of a focus on the day to day, which clearly can't be forgotten. But in addition to that day to day tracking of jobs getting done and, and performance metrics being met, 
into inspiring people to think more um, kind of big picture about what they're doing. And that's exactly what I meant about uh, the, t- the significance of the task and pointing out that it's not just that you're doing this mundane activity, but actually you're linking into an overall much bigger picture that's having an impact on our customers in terms of enhancing their quality of life, their experience of the world and, and these bigger things. So leadership is about it's a, it's a process of social influence, but it is getting away from the very important day to day jobs, which have to be done and obviously have to be tracked, but introducing another component whereby you're encouraging um, a greater kind of appreciation among staff of what they're doing, why they're doing it and its value and purpose in, in the in the grand scheme of things beyond the parameters of the team, beyond the parameters of the organisation, out into the community and society. And it comes back to job design, doesn't it, Melrona, really, when you're looking at the manager role, what are you actually looking for in terms of fit and culture and ability to influence the people that are being managed or led? Um, and I, I do think there, there's probably a piece of work on job design for that manager role uh, in the new world of work as well. Oh, sure. But um, I think job design for manager roles is, is uh, an essential piece of kit. But I do think leadership development for managers is even more important. See, the thing is that as you get uh, as you get promoted in an organization, you actually get promoted out of your area of expertise. So if you're an engineer, for example, and you get promoted, you're not an engineer anymore. You're overseeing the work of engineers and you're inspiring the work of your team of engineers to be delivered to the highest possible quality. So you're not actually an engineer anymore. You're now in a leadership role. You're in a management uh, and leadership role. And you know, engineers, generally speaking, uh, don't get trained in leadership. They get trained in engineering. And so this is where a leadership development program for senior people. So a lot of people, for example, do an MBA. So I've been um, the executive director of our MBA program in DCU, and we deal with very senior individuals who recognize they have uh, met, they've come to the top of their technical scale um, moving into leadership and now lead, it, it's a whole other set of skills and, and competencies and a specific program designed to uh, build those is now what is required. Um, so we have also a leadership development program for women in, in, in DCU. And that too is all about the challenges that leadership brings for women, which are not a million miles from those of men, but it's nice to be in a room with other women discussing them because they often are, are shared. But leadership development is, is a critical activity. But there's one other way that I would suggest that uh, leaders can enhance their own leadership capacity, and that is by taking on tough challenges. These are referred to as crucible experiences, uh, meaning that you, you task yourself with something tough. And in seeing it through, you develop an insight into the the capacities that you have that heretofore were undiscovered or you're unaware of them. And then on foot of doing something tough and delivering delivering on that, you take your awareness of these competencies with you to the next task. So there are multiple ways of developing leadership if we pay attention to the need to develop leadership, which is, if you like, the cherry on the bun of management. Representative, it's about those kind of deep embedded things as well, Melrone, isn't it? Mm. It's not just certain tick box exercises, I suppose, when you're doing anything, any initiative like this, it's Absolutely. about that intentionality, isn't it? 
Yeah, and and if there's one thing I would uh, emphasize of an effective leader, it is uh, reflection. And the problem is managers and organizations, uh, you know, organizations are in a very competitive zone and, you know, we're, we're safe facing into stark times and difficult scenarios coming down the tracks very soon. It's very easy to get caught up with the here and now and focus on, on those essentials, which are obviously very important. Mm-hmm. But there is this added expectation, you could say, of, of uh, senior leaders to be able to guide the organization in an appropriate fashion, notwithstanding the various different crises that may be breaking out. And that means managers need to take time out to reflect uh, and to think about why they're doing what they're doing, why the culture of an organization is or is not delivering engaged employees, for example. And these um, leadership development programs give time out also to engage, to kind of lift your head out of the day job and take this kind of helicopter view, this strategic perspective, um, not just on the organization, but also on themselves as individual leaders and their effectiveness in those roles. I suppose that's the big question that I'll, I'll come to yourself, Mary, about this one. I suppose when we talk about reflecting and looking ahead even, what can employers and HR teams do, I suppose, in this space? I know Melrone has mentioned a few there, but from your perspective, Mary, for a team that wants to just get started with the whole engagement prevention of quiet quitting, this kind of stuff, where should they start? Look at your tools, be careful about what you're buying and how shiny it is and and who's selling it to you. That that would be one thing I would say. Um, I have a concern about some of the tools that I see out there and and what they promise to do. Um, And that's not knocking any provider out there. It's just simply saying buyer beware think about what you're buying and what it's actually going to do with for your organization when it comes to engagement you know talking to your people is key and collecting qualitative data is important. Um, So I would 100% agree with Milrona on that point. The role of the leader and manager is key. The who you're hiring, how you're developing people, where where the kind of time you're giving people to do that self-reflection is important. If you have people back to back on video calls or back to back meetings uh, where they start early, end late and are exhausted, where is that time for self-reflection? And so many managers um, that I know are stuck in this kind of strange cycle at the moment of multiple meetings being tasked with employee well-being and, and uh, multiple things as, as well as getting the job done. So really think about what you can do to support and develop um, those line managers. Um, and in HR, it's always about being brave, isn't it? Uh, not just believing everything you see on the internet. Um, when it comes to quite quitting, think about it what research it yourself see what's out there what's what's causing you concern as a hr manager in this area focus on the real issues uh, and make sure you're you have your finger on the pulse of them in your own organization sent a last word to yourself Melora, anything to add there about i suppose hr teams and employers might be afraid of this quiet quitting disengagement kind of stuff I think we need to recognise we're in kind of a new world now. So the lockdowns of COVID have had a huge impact on how we live and 
and our decisions around how we spend our life, you know. I mean, another phrase that came to the fore was the great resignation, whereby people had decided, okay, I'm just not doing this anymore. I'm moving to a house in Dingle and I'm going to just have a different life. And I think, uh, you know, whenever we have these huge moments of change, it's an opportunity for us all to think about why we're doing what we're doing, including organizations and all the managers in them, because the managers are people too, (laughs) you know, and the the managers also want to rightly have as high a quality of life as possible. And so I think what COVID and the lockdowns have shown us is there are lots of ways of doing things. You know, lots of uh, sectors would have thought, no way, we can't have working from home. We need to have everybody in the office. What the lockdowns have proven is that that's not the case and, and that the show does go on, despite the fact that it's in a very different scenario. So I think, you know, a, a huge big change is an opportunity for us all to think about why we're doing what we're doing. We all go around this great planet just the once, and our, our job to ourselves and then obviously to our communities is to live our best life and to, to be true to what that is for all of us, recognizing that there's consequences to every choice that we make. So you don't get everything. You can't have it every way. And so that is the, the challenge for managers to be sophisticated and to take enlightened approaches to holding on to their very valuable staff in a manner that supports their capacity to deliver in an engaging manner in their um, in their team environment. Absolutely. And hopefully we've shared some great advice there. I'm sure we have personally really enjoyed that conversation. So thank you to Mary and Melrona for a very insightful discussion. And I hope we've put a few people at ease who are scared of quiet quitting and, and everything <laughs> that goes with it. So thank you to everyone for listening. We'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. So don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. Make sure to check the show notes for useful resources related to today's topic. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at InsideHR.ie. Thank you, Mary, and thank you, Melrona. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Mary. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Melrona. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast, the podcast series from Inside HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.